Welcome to Ogilav Nanagus. Conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologist Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody at www.storyarchaeology.com An introduction to story archaeology with Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody. Hello, my name is Isolde Carmody and I'm approaching this with a largely academic background. I've studied literature, philosophy and the early Irish language. And my name is Chris Thompson and I'm a storyteller and teacher who now works in support of oral skills development and creative writing for both children and adults. But I've also had a lifelong love of story, poetry and folklore. Isolde and I have worked together for almost 15 years now, exploring our joint interests in mythology, not only through study, but also in storytelling performance and theatre. We are the story archaeologists. So why are we using this term? And what do we mean by it? Well, there's often a great rift between the people who will read texts, such as the great wealth of Old and Middle Irish texts, and the archaeologists who are uncovering sites and trying to interpret artefacts. Now, there are good reasons for the rift. The story that appears by looking at our indigenous texts, both stories and law texts and genealogies and mm -hmm. histories and annals, that can produce its own kind of story. Whereas looking at important sites and uh, artefacts, that produces an, its own kind of story. And it can be hard to see how they relate to each other. It's difficult for the two to talk to each other, isn't it? Is, it? They, it they are kind Both of disciplines. They're different languages. Yeah. There are people who have attempted to make those two versions of the same story match up. In the early 19th century, we had Eugene O'Curry, who through his reading of Irish manuscripts and what was then known in terms of archaeology, particularly at the Royal Irish Academy, he attempted to use those together to put together a, a picture of what life was like in ancient Ireland. More recently, Fergus Kelly has done this in his two absolutely indispensable books, one A Guide to Early Irish Law and the second one just called Early Irish Farming, where again he's relying largely on the law and status tracts and he's trying to match them up with what is currently known in the archaeological record mm -hmm. of the history of Ireland. And then of course there's the role of the storyteller. Now that's uh, that originally in the times of the stories that we're going to be looking at, uh, had quite a status, didn't it? Absolutely. Well, the fillet, or poet, is how it's usually translated, really includes the notion of storyteller, but it also includes being a historian, being a lawyer, and it was one of the most valued roles in early Irish society. And uh, the, the great poets and the great storytellers were really honoured for their role. Mm. And it was an oral society, largely. Uh, at least the oral was valued and seen as having a central role. Absolutely. And uh, to carry the continuance of the stories on through generations. Yeah. And I find it rather sad that now the storyteller is often seen as a mere entertainer of children, for children, though I don't see any... any There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. I, I, I love working with children and telling stories with children. Yeah. Uh, the trouble is, even sometimes storyteller is uh, another word for liar, or you're just telling stories. Yeah. 
But for me, that storytelling, well, I would describe it as the fairy godmother of all arts. It underlies nearly every other art. Mm. And yet nowadays, storytelling has almost become, if you like, the Cinderella in rags, the one who never goes to the ball. Yes. But for me, I, I, I regard storytelling as... I, 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 to be a storyteller, for me, is a very important thing, and I, I see it as something I love and enjoy. Absolutely. But the way that you and I have worked together is to combine the skills and the breadth of knowledge of the storyteller with the academic exploration of the oldest texts in the, their original language. And now what we what we want to do is we is we want to apply the discipline that very strict discipline, the rigorous discipline of the archaeologist, to the understanding of story and the inspiration, if you like, the intuition that, that's needed in story exploration to gain a deeper and broader appreciation of the rich strata of our heritage. So let's look at this analogy and um, in terms of the, shall we say, the methods used in archaeology. Yeah. Um, Really, wherever you are, you have to start from the present. Yeah, you, in the archaeological dig, you can only ever start on the surface, uh, where you are now. And of course, it, when you're actually digging, what you're doing is you're going back, uh, backwards through time. And peeling back the layers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nowadays, you know, there are ways of, of non-intrusive methods of looking into the ground to gain a pattern of what could be below the geophys and so forth. Yeah. And there's a lot of ways of doing this now. Yeah. Um, then, of course, you've got dating by strata from the context of what you find. Yes. And, the, and the more you find, the more you build up a clearer picture of each time period. Just in relation to itself, though, it doesn't necessarily give you an absolute date it doesn't mm. pin it down within history and the artifacts found are useless unless they're in context exactly. unless they're in that strata they tell you very little yes and again they're, they're meaningless unless you can relate it to other artifacts um which may be in a completely different part mm. of the world or even in a different time frame but you notice the similarity between artifacts yeah. and that starts to tell you what they're about yeah. and let's also not forget that archaeologists make use of records and documents and other dating evidence exactly and, and more and more so now there's much more cross-disciplinary uh, mm. cooperation and of course archaeology in has its scientific side within geophysics and now of course being able to survey the landscape from the air which wasn't yes, available I never mentioned to that. the 19th century archaeologists. Um, but like you say, they can now actually see more from the documents that are there and also from the work of previous archaeologists, mm. even if the conclusions of those archaeologists weren't necessarily, they weren't borne out, but still the work that they did mm. has got us to what we know now. Yeah, well, let's see how we can re relate this to what we are calling, calling story archaeology, yes. by taking the same ideas and applying them to how we would work with stories. Yes. Well, starting from the present, yes. where else can you start? Exactly. You can only start with the material that we have now. But also, in terms of story, very often the most recent version of a story will be a folklore version. Absolutely. But then when you start looking a bit further in the past, you can relate the folklore version to something that appears okay. in a text. So you're starting with what you've got now. There may be texts available. There may be... We're looking at, but from the surface, you've got to start from where we are now and what we know of the story <coughs> now, And which is why often I like to start 
with my interpretation of a story. It feels yeah. like starting in the present. Exactly. This is how I might tell the story today as yeah. a storyteller. Yeah. But then, of course, you start peeling back the layers. Yes, and again, even within a single text, you can detect different layers of the story. Um, one of the ways of doing this is by uh, analysing the language. Because again, much like the strata that you get in an archaeological dig, by relating the structure and the forms of the language to each other, you can also then get a relative dating for the sections of different language. Mm. And so you'll often find, particularly a poem, within a story and the poem is in an older form mm. of the language than the prose text so you're around it. Still looking at the strata. Exactly. The strata mat ma matters a great deal. It does. And then you've already mentioned linguistic dating methods. Yes. Uh, this is something now that again, when I look back to a lot of the nineteenth century um, academics who are trying to decode the texts and trying to also relate, if you like, the Irish tradition to a wider European tradition. This was before um, the language or the proposed language of Indo-European had really been analysed and created almost, uh, which gives us a complete template for how all the whole group of languages evolved. And so there Although there's forms of the language, such as uh, the Irish language that appears on Oam stones, that go back further mm -hmm. than what's written in a manuscript, that gives us another clue to be able to reconstruct what the language mm -hmm. would have been mm -hmm. like before that. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, there's there are events and personages uh, who are mentioned in a text, particularly in the annals, and then they can be compared to other historical records. Mm. And so that mm. gives a wider context in which to date the text themselves. And contextual dating methods. Yeah. You know, I, I was also thinking etymology yeah. is really, really important. It is deeply important, especially um, when you're looking at the names of characters in a story or indeed the names of places in a story. These are two centrally important I things. I feel as though the, the meanings of the names, the etymology is almost like the small finds, isn't it? It is a bit. You know what I mean? It's like the artefacts that you find. A yeah. name can suddenly take you off in a different direction. Yes. It's like that. Uh, suddenly you have... It's like I always feel that the names, finding these meanings, is a bit like pieces of pottery that will date... Exactly, that will give you an exact date for, for what you're oh, looking at. Oh, yeah, yes. now I get it. Yes, and indeed there's an argument um, that the simplest form of a story is simply a list of names and places. Mm -hmm. And in, in essence that will tell you the whole story. And um, then, of course, you've got the cultural and anthropological methods. And uh, in a way, uh, I, I think, uh, and again, I suppose I should have really put it in contextual, other stories. Yes. Before um, I, but this is, it's a bit of both, isn't yeah, it, really? It is. You know, looking at, so I often will bring in Welsh stories or stories from other parts of the world, yeah. which have a similarity that are going to tell you something about how that story might be set in its place or what position it... Or, I don't know what 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 relationship people might have to this story, yeah. how it compares with other stories. This is a bit like landscape archaeology in a way. It is a bit, yeah. Setting the story into the landscape. Yes, but it's also using um, things like cult cultural anthropology, which is a way of understanding how human societies and cultures evolve and interact. And if you have some of that knowledge, then you can reconstruct 
the kind of society for whom this story was told mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. how it re both reflects their own culture and society and also how maybe it is distinct from or different from mm -hmm. the experience of those people who would originally have heard the story. And sometimes you can use that knowledge of story almost to like reconstruct missing pieces, yes. to pick out other bits of story that may help you to reconstruct a possible scenario or yes. a possible, you know, what the pot look, might have looked like if it were whole. Exactly, from this tiny little fragment of yes. clay. It is possible to do that with yeah. story, with a knowledge of story. Yes. You know what you're likely to find. Exactly. And but you can never take it for granted any more than you can with archaeology. No, there, there, every day may turn up some new find or the uncovering of a new site mm. that just changes the whole picture that you have mm. of... And, and like archaeologists too, we're allowed the occasional speculation. Oh yes, although I have to say, I think <laughs> that we, we are much tamer than some speculative archaeologists. <laughs> but it's nice every often to, to go off on a wild flight of fancy and say, well, well, this makes a good story. We're not saying it is, but that's how you start well, this all archaeologists into place. A, a good archaeologist has to have a good imagination. Oh yeah, you have to be able to imagine the whole pot from the you single have to be pot able shirt. To see it. Yeah, and so they really need, as part of their job, they mm. need to have that active imagination, the ability to follow. They it need through. that vision. Yeah, and in the same way, looking at the footstep of, uh, you know, the footprint of an outline of a story. Yes. You've got to be able to see that whole edifice in your imagination, even if you then go, that's how it could be, it's not how it is. No, it's a possibility. But it's good fun, isn't yes. it? So what we're going to be doing using this methodology that we have termed story archaeology, we're producing series of podcasts with six podcasts in each series. The first series is about the mythical women that appear in Irish stories. And there are some real surprises there. Yes. Now the second series is going to be on the whole um, mythological cycle of Moitura. Um, it's a fantastic story, isn't it? Yes, largely from the text, the Cath Magathurid, um, which is the Battle of Moitura, sometimes called the Second Battle of Moitura, sometimes but called the Battle of Northern, Northern Moitura. It's going to be quite an adventure, that one. Absolutely. After that, we are going to have a look at the stories of Fionn and the Fíniacht cycle. And in the fourth series, we thought we might have a look at some of the strange roles that turn up in the stories that are never quite what they seem, like the role of the cupbearer or, or, or the doorkeeper. And I can assure you they aren't as boring as they sound. <laughs> Along with these podcasts, we've got our blog and each time we publish a podcast there will be accompanying articles, links, extra information. And the sources we're working from. Absolutely. Insofar as is possible, uh, any text that we work with, will there'll be at the very least a link to it. Um, you'll be able to see it in its original language. Often and in Isolde's own translation. Exactly. I'll, I'll give my translations where possible. but again, uh, allow you to look at other people's and as well. And maybe some of the original, um, some of the, 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 the story forms that I've given yes. these old form stories as well. Yeah, so there will be plenty there for further study, for exploration, and also to allow us to give all of our sources. So enjoy and um, we welcome your comments. Do get on, in touch with us at www.storyarchaeology.com. Thank you for listening to Ogilaf Nanagas.
Conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologists Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody. For more information or to subscribe, please visit www.storyarchaeology.com. You can get in touch via email on the storyarchaeologists at gmail.com. <laughs>